On the twelfth and final day of Infant Christmas, uh, an infant gave to me a brand new episode from December 2023 of Glenn co-hosting an episode of Mormon News Roundup. Yeah. Greetings, brothers and sisters. Welcome to the weekly Mormon News Roundup. I'm your humble host, D-Bays, which is talent on loan from Kola. Hey, um, I'm cutting in here, and I'll probably cut in a couple of times uh, during this audio. I just now realized he's pronouncing his name's Dives, and I called him Dives throughout because it's spelled D-I-V-E-S. Yeah, I'm sorry about that, Dives. Uh, but here's what you're going to hear today for the 12th gift of Vimpton Christmas. Uh, several, was it several years ago? I don't know. It was 97 episodes of Mormon News Roundup ago. Uh, whenever Dives started uh, the podcast, he reached out to me to be a co-host with him. And, you know, news isn't really my thing, as you'll hear me talk about in here. So I just kind of ignored it. But he kept checking in every couple of months, every couple of months. And yeah, he, he wore me down, as he mentions in here, which was fine. I was, it, it excited me. I thought, okay, this is something I don't normally do looking at news. I'm not quite sure what I'm going to say or how I'm going to respond to things. And I'll be honest, when I listened back to this thing, I didn't really like the way it was all edited. But, you know, it was kind of like... It just made me think about myself, and when I was a young podcaster, uh, boy, the way that I said it makes it sound like I'm being judgmental of Divas, and I'm not. I'm, I'm thinking about myself, and I'm thinking about the times when I first started podcasting, and it was so important to me, and you know, this thing that I do as a hobby and for fun just felt like it was just so much more important. And I, I, I almost feel as I'm listening back to this now that there's kind of a tug of war going on between that like old version of myself and the newer version of myself uh, represented in Dives and me and our conversation here. So that's what you're going to hear for this episode today. We're talking about some current events that are going on, uh, some of which might be newsworthy or not. I don't know. I'm looking at these things a little bit differently these days. And also, this is a video podcast, so if you go to YouTube for the Mormon News Roundup, you can watch this instead of listen to it, and I'll provide that link on the website under this episode for Infants on Thrones. And uh, here we go. We're going to get you right back to uh, Dives, whose talent is on loan from Kolob, and there is interest that's being collected, I think. I don't know. Maybe. Well, I'll have to figure that out if I ever talk with him again. Uh, my crew and I, we ruminate weekly on the Great and Spacious Beehive. So thanks so much for joining us to discuss the current events in Mormondom. We've got a big episode for you. This is Christmas Eve, December 24, 2023. It's episode 97. Uh, the Mormon Church humanitarian donation has been rejected. It's very controversial. You're not going to want to miss what we are going to bring to you on that one. The LDS Church, uh, there's been a fraudster who's been convicted of defrauding people for $500 million dollars. This is a big article, and a lot of the mainstream media, they're not covering it, but we are. And finally, the LDS Church's investment arm, which is called Ensign Peak Advisors, it's been accused of supporting Hamas. Yeah, we've got a lot of controversial stuff to bring to you. This is going to be a fantastic episode. If you want to get in touch with me, I'm at www.mormonnewsroundup.org, or you can send me an email to kolob at mormonnewsroundup.org. I'd like to invite onto the program my fabulous co-host, Glenn. Glenn, how's it going? Uh, fabulous, I believe. That's what <laughs> That's I heard. Yeah. Tremendous. Now, Glenn, um, what is your one minute Mormon story? Who are you and what are you all about? Uh, I podcast over at Infants on Thrones. I've been in the podcasting world, amateur podcaster, really, for about uh, 13 years. Started in 2010 with Mormon Expression. Uh, I was academically trained as a folklorist. 
I wrote a book called Bathing with God a couple of years ago. I guess if there's something important to know about me, it's that I think that every single thing is a fiction. It's all uh, incomplete. Nobody has the full picture of the story. We're all bits and pieces of it. And fictions are absolutely valuable, uh, contrary to what I think people mostly believe. I think everything is a fiction. Everything should be approached that way. And I'm really interested in the creators of the fictions that are being expressed to me. So I like asking a lot of questions to finding out about the people that I'm interacting with, because what they think, their subjective reality about things is far more important to me than anything else. So that's what I'm really curious about. Well, Glenn, you should fit right in here because most people accuse the Mormon News Roundup of being fake news. So that yeah. fits perfectly well in with your world mindset. You know, maybe I'm overanalyzing. No, no, definitely I'm overanalyzing this. But I don't think that what I just said fits in perfectly with the approach of the podcast or even the accusations of it being fake news because I, I, I think the one thing that was lost in what I said is I'm really interested in the subjective reality that every person has. That's, that's what I want to focus on. That's what's really important and interesting to me. Anyway, I, I, don't, I don't know that it's interesting to everyone, but it's interesting to me. So let's go back to Dives and Dives. You're the, literally the first person that I ever reached out to co-host. So it's mm. been 97 episodes, and I think I finally wore you down. I mean, you've recorded something <laughs> like... Uh, that's what happened, actually. Yeah, well, I'm pretty, <laughs> I'm pretty good at that. Now, uh, you've recorded, what, 800 episodes with Infants on Thrones, which, by the way, how do you like my background here, Glenn? That's fantastic. It's amazing. I, I I appreciate all the time and effort that you put into getting that painted on the wall in your bedroom. It must have taken a while. Oh uh, yeah, it, <laughs> I'm just using CGI. But seriously, oh, really? I, I, yeah. Ah. Uh. <laughs> now, um, yeah, I spent all week listening to Infants on Thrones. Uh, you know, I don't know if you make honorary infants, but that's what I'm hoping that you'll crown me at the end. But I oh, understand yeah. that you know, if I one episode is probably not enough to get invited to be an infant on a throne. But um, I one you always... are an infant on a throne already, dives, and yeah, I'd love to have you come on, and we can. But then we dive into you, and I don't know if you're going to want that or not. But we'll we'll see. I'd love for you to come on. And there I go calling him Dives again. And if you watch this on YouTube and you can see his face every time I call him Dives, what a cool guy. What a nice guy that he never corrected me. <laughs> so, Glenn, our first news article this week in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is a thanks but no thanks. A Native American museum has returned the LDS Church's $2 million gift. So the church was involved there in Oklahoma in a, the, it was called the First People's Museum there. And they donated $2 million in, it was kind of a quid pro quo. We're going to donate $2 million to your museum if you let us put a family history center inside the church and let us staff it by full-time Mormon missionaries. Uh, but that's been rejected and returned to the church. It's kind of unprecedented to see an organization, you know, usually museums and nonprofits, they're usually strapped for cash. So accepting a $2 million donation, I mean, that seems like a no-brainer, but we're seeing the church get rejected here in a very public way. And it's also in a manner that I had not necessarily seen before. What What do you think about the uh, the Native American Museum telling the church, thanks, but no thanks on your $2 million bucks? I don't think it's thanks, but no thanks on the two million bucks. I think it's thanks, but no thanks to the strings that are attached to the two million bucks. <laughs> Good for them. I'm glad they've got their principles. They say, you know what, actually, eh, we're, two million dollars isn't worth it 
there are going to be a lot of strings attached along with this. And I got this video here from one of my favorite uh, uh, YouTubers out there, which is uh, Julia from Analyzing Mormonism. And she actually served a full-time missionary as, as a full-time missionary in one of these family search centers. Wow. And she gives us a quick perspective on what it, what, what it means to her to have been a full-time missionary in one of these centers and see the church's money get rejected. Let me play this for you, Glenn, and get your reaction. In 2021, okay. the church donated $2 million to the First American Museum in Oklahoma. This donation was specifically for a family search center that would potentially be staffed with LDS missionaries. I myself served my mission in a family search visitor center that used to exist in Park City, Utah. Concerning this $2 million donation, the prophet Russell M. Nelson said, The gift from the church will strengthen Native American and other families by creating within the museum a family search center. This center will make it possible for visitors to the museum to receive help in preserving personal histories, searching for ancestors and building their own family trees. However, the museum opened in September of 2021 and there is no family history center. It turns out that the museum returned the $2 million to the church. On their website, they responded as follows. The agreement between the First Americans Museum and the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints related to a grant in the amount of $2 million for the creation of the Family History Research Center will be discontinued. FAM will return the grant funds and will suspend plans to develop the center until further notice. We thank the church for their understanding and generosity. FAM values the perspectives of our native constituencies. Thank you to those who voiced concerns in a respectful manner about the project. Hmm, I wonder what those concerns were. Could it be that the church has actively sought to change Native American history or that they heavily mistreated the Native Americans in early church history? Could it be the Indian placement program? Is it because the church would seek to proselytize at the museum? Who knows? And if this is indeed a case of problematic history between the church and the Native Americans, I'm proud of them for sticking up for themselves. What do you think those strings were that were attached associated with this, Glenn? That kind of cultural appropriation. Yeah, see, this is one of those areas where I was kind of upset with the edit. Because the first thing that I said when he asked me that question is that I thought that Julia at Analyzing Mormonism did a really good job and I agreed with what she had to say. And uh, it doesn't feel right <laughs> to me <laughs> to have that acknowledgement of her cut off and, and lopped off. That bothered me. And then, like, just jumped into something that I don't know. I probably said a bunch of things that he didn't find interesting. And then, like, the part that was relevant, he, like, cut in right there. But it just seemed choppy to me. But anyway, Julia, if you or anyone who knows you and loves you is hearing this, I want you to know I thought that what you said was freaking awesome. And I don't want that to go down the memory hole. <laughs> What do you think those strings were that were attached associated with this, Glenn? That kind of cultural appropriation of reframing uh, their heritage. I mean, the, the Mormon church view of Native American heritage, I don't think is very in line with what <laughs> what's real or what's, what uh, their actual heritage is. So, yeah. yeah, so you mean to tell me that there's no such thing as Lamanites? Because that's what's going to happen when you have people <laughs> coming into this museum is that they're going to say, OK, let's look at our family history. And they're going to say, oh, your family history, your Shoshone, your, you know, your, your whatever your tribe is. No, that's not your history. Your history is actually contained in this book right here, this Book of Mormon. Let me yeah. give that to you. Yeah. And you need to abandon your cultural heritage. It's a very colonial mindset. And that's why the website says that they respected the the persons who were involved with it and the pushback that they got from their communities. Now, by the way, I did grow up in Oklahoma, uh, not, not, not that far from this particular museum. Mm -hmm. And I find it to be very remarkable that, you know, we're in 2023 now. People understand, especially with the DNA connections in the Book of Mormon, that persons of uh, Native American ancestry, they derive mostly from Asia, from the Mongolia area. They, they don't derive from a Hebrew ancestry. They're the vast, vast, vast majority of them that did not come across on transoceanic submarines in 2000 BC or in 600 BC on uh, ships. 
And that's why we're getting a lot of pushback in this particular case. And what I also find remarkable about this is that, you know, the church does these PR laps. They take these victory laps with all of their donations. And then we well, we don't come to find out that some of them have been returned. This They don't announce that on the church's website. They always take the credit for it, but they never say, oh, yeah, and then it was rejected because they didn't want our Mormon missionaries in there and they didn't want our incredible colonial mindset. We only get the one half of the story and we have to learn about the rejections from other news sources. It's just very ironic. Self-serving. I mean, it, it, it makes sense to me. That's kind of what the church is and what the church does. You know, I, I served my mission in Japan in the early 90s. And this idea of cultural appropriation uh, became, I, I don't know, I, I, that, that was where I first really faced it I, as a missionary, as I was knocking on doors, trying to get people to change from whatever their traditional heritage was to the real one, the true one. <laughs> And then I would see all the conflicts that people would have when they would join the church and their family would reject them. And of course, people in the church would bring them in and wrap their arms around them. And they felt like they had community. And that was nice and great. But it came at a cost because they had to reject their heritage. One of the things that was really interesting to me, I was always fascinated with the Lost Tribes of Israel. And when I was in the MTC, uh, we were told that the Japanese were the Lost Tribes of Israel. And they started looking at all these different clues and signs. And so when I did my master's uh, thesis in folklore, I focused on this, on the Japanese being the lost tribes of Israel. And what I found as I was interviewing people, talking to them about them, their, these stories, why is it important that you feel like you are the lost tribes of Israel? What I discovered is it was because they felt like instead of rejecting the faith of their Shinto Buddhist fathers, they were reclaiming the original lost faith that, you know, like the apostasy had pushed out. And it was just this really interesting uh, exploration of individual identity and group identity and all these different things that go into these fictions and these stories that are created that really provide real value to these people's lives. So I applaud the uh, museum for saying, no, we don't want our history retold or recreated, especially within the, the walls of our museum. We don't want to be told, hey, do you want to know where your ancestors really came from, Shoshone? Do you want to know the real history of your people? Because we'll tell you, because we know what the people at the museum don't know. No, I'm sorry. I, I, we don't need that. You can keep your $2 million. I, I applaud that. Right. And also, you're going to give us your name so that we can baptize you and your All right. ancestors. Yeah proxy and we're going to make your 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 heritage into mormons uh via proxy it's those type of things that uh, julia brought up that we've also brought up that um, are very that people people yeah. know that the jig is up and this crazy thing glenn is this is not the first time this has happened the church donated uh back in 2019 donated two million dollars to the international african american museum to have a family search in there as well yeah. and you'll see david bednar and some other folks here hobnobbing had taking a victory lap you know they're they're saying, hey, we're giving you all this money and everyone's so thankful for it. And guess what? It, it appears also, Glenn, that this one hasn't been reported. But if you call this uh, museum here, if you call them and ask them for the Family History Center in there, it's not in this one either, which makes me kind of believe that, you know, when the church tries to make these donations to different people, see, here's the fist bump. We're taking a victory lap. And then they never tell us, oh, oops. That I want to see Bednar dab. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. Okay. Um, 
But, but it appears that at least the Native American one was returned and probably this one as well, because there's no family history center in either of these, which this, this African-American one has already been built. So we see the victory laps. We see all of the, the, the positive PR and then we never get to see the retraction. And that really begs the question, Glenn, the church supposedly in 2021, they donated $100 million of uh, humanitarian donations, not including the fast offering. And in 2022, they donated $200 million, uh, not including the fast offering. And that's all self-church reported. Well, how many of those donations have been returned as well? And since the church engages in no external auditing, how can we trust these church donations either to museums or humanitarian as well? I mean, why are you trusting the church at all? Why are you asking, how can I trust the church? I don't understand. <laughs> are you still okay. trying to trust the church, Dives? <laughs> well, I, I want to take the church at its words for what it's doing for its donations, but it's hard to do that when we see donations that are being returned. Um, yeah. as in both of these situations, when there's no external auditing that's associated with these, it's hard to confirm that all of these church donations. How many others of, if you look back for the last 25 years, all of the church reports, how many of those humanitarian donations are actually have been returned or actually did not take place to begin with? Everyone says, well, the church is donating hundreds of millions of dollars. Well, I mean, it's just hard to take the church at its word in this particular case. It also reminds me real quick, Glenn, I, I belong to a, kind of an amusing Facebook page. It's imagined that all of Star Trek were Mormons. Mm. Um, and so it's Is called John Trek. Hamer part of that that page? <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, it was run by Rebecca Biblioteca. But the okay. idea behind it is imagine that everyone in the Star Trek universe is a Mormon. And so I posted this meme on there. I, I post once or twice a week. Hey, wait, they gave the $2 million back to the church. <laughs> It's just, it's kind of amusing to me, this entire thing. Any any last thoughts on this entire Native American museum returning the $2 million? The church is a business. It's a corporation and it acts like a corporation and uh, it, it's very transactional. So it doesn't surprise me to see these kinds of things. Um, you know, it's in the business of selling salvation and selling hope, creating community very insular community, very us versus them kind of community. And I think I, I just from my own experience uh, as as a missionary in Japan, it confused me why these Japanese people didn't want the ones that were rejecting us, that were saying, no, no, thank you. Our house is Buddhist. We don't need to hear your Christian message. It always confused me why they didn't want to hear the truth. I just didn't know. And it took a long time for me to go, oh, wait, 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 there's more going on than what I've been taught up to this point. And so, you know, the way I see things now dives is every, every single person is uh, at a stage of growth and progression, whatever you're growing towards and whatever you're progressing towards. I think Mormons have a hard time getting out of the insular myopic uh, Mormon way of seeing the world and going, why wouldn't this museum want what we have to offer? I mean, $2 million this is a great thing. We're going in and they don't understand the strings attached to it. They don't value it and they kind of discount it. And so, yeah, well, we definitely value your opinion here, Glenn. And speaking Thank of the you. corporate nature of the church, you talked about that corporate part of the church. You know, the church has uh, vast resources uh, in the Enzyme Peak Associates, at least uh, approximately 150 to $190 billion in Enzyme Peak, which is it's, you know, they have a number of domestic um, stocks that they buy and also private equities and real estate and also foreign investment stocks, bonds, the whole nine yards, you name it, the church is invested in it. And this is the article that came out of the Salt Lake Tribune this week, which really 
gave me a bit of pause, especially considering the crisis which has happened over in um, in Israel in the Gaza Strip. The title of this article here, Glenn, kind of gave me some pause. It said the LDS Church's investment arm, Ensign Peak Associates, bought more than 200,000 shares in the private equity fund that Hamas used to fund its operations. Though there's no indication that the church knew about uh, the Hamas ties at that time. And it just really, again, that's the corporate nature of the church. That we're, they, The church bought some shares in a fund that was, it was based out of Turkey. Well, it turned out that that fund was also used for funding Hamas, even though there's no evidence that the church knew about the connection. The church is somewhat responsible for funding of Hamas. Uh, and especially considering Hamas's egregious actions here in the last two months uh, with the murder of 1,600 people uh, last October, I, I just couldn't believe what I'm seeing here with the corporate nature of the church. And here's another example where uh, there was a really awkward edit because I, I paused here and I asked him a question. Why can't you believe what you're seeing about the corporate nature of the church? Uh, again, because I'm interested in people's subjective <laughs> expressions of reality. And I was getting these mixed messages from him where it feels like on the one hand, he shouldn't expect the church to be anything other than corporate, but the language that he's using is different. And so I asked him a question about that. And I don't know why he didn't include it. And it kind of hurts my feelings a little bit. I don't know what happened here, but just uh, it sounds awkward to me. So I'm going to insert, reinsert the question here. I'm questioning this. And so what you're about to hear from him is his reaction that question, which I thought he gave a really great response. Buying Hamas shares? That's crazy. The supernatural claims of the church, for me, are very hard to examine. You know, I, I wasn't there when Joseph Smith said that he had a theophany. Um, because Russell M. Nelson, he never prophesies. I, I can't judge the prophecy because he never gives any. I, I can't see the seniors, the leaders of the church. I can't follow them in the hospitals and see if their healing did anything. Um, they don't translate any books of scripture, so we can't compare those anyway. This is important for me, at least, and I follow Enzyme Peak very carefully. We can follow Enzyme Peak and what it does, and for me, it is a great way to be able to validate church truth claims. Because if this is God's investment fund, if this is Jesus's slush fund, then what I would expect to see from that is, number one, that it's outperforming the S&P 500, which it frequently does not do. And I would expect them to, you know, not being investing in funds that turn out to be used for terrorists, right? I mean, because so I assume that, you know, at once a month or once a quarter that the Ensign Peak guys, they give a briefing to President Nelson and the others and they say, hey, this is what we're investing in. And that he prays about it, gets an answer from God. This is what I've been told, at least. That he gets an answer from God. And then, yes, God's swearing off on the investment fund. Well, why? It doesn't make the whole thing doesn't make any sense. I, I guess because I don't view Ensign Peak in, in that similar way that it's not that surprising to me. I, it was a couple of years ago, maybe two or three years ago, that uh, his twin brother Nielsen. Lars Nielsen. Um, reached out to me and said, hey, I'd, I'd like to kind of blow the whistle on this thing. And uh, something I'm kind of proud of, Infants on Thrones, that he would ask me to be the one to like, let's talk about what's been going on here with the whistleblowing thing. Um, so I'm somewhat familiar with with that. But again, it was it was a while ago that I've talked with Lars, but I, I I don't really see this as anything other than the different business arms underneath the and I forget what the what the official title is of the president of the church was like corporate in C. I don't I don't even remember what the words are. I don't know. But it, it, all of these small businesses that are under the arm of the church that 
they're just trying to do what businesses do in investing. And I don't think they're doing a ton of, I don't know if they're doing it. I don't, I don't know that world of an investment and what kind of due diligence you do. I, I, we talked earlier and you were telling me about Warren Buffett and these other guys that they travel around the world and they really investigate and do yeah. their due diligence into what they're yeah, investigate, they investing in. And I don't know how Ensign Peak does it. And I don't know how Hamas sets up their things. And I'm excited to see if two prophets from the church go over there and just kind of hang out with all this conflict because I heard they're supposed to be killed and be dead like for three days in the streets or something like that uh, uh, before the second coming. Do you remember that story? Yeah, in the book of Revelation. So it's going to be yeah. a very difficult prophecy to fulfill considering the fact that President Nelson has not left the state of Utah during the entire last year except for one yeah. time to dedicate the Washington, D.C. temple. So, Glenn, I think you can rest easy knowing that he is not going anywhere near Jerusalem. Therefore, the last days are not coming. Okay, I just so I've got to, some time, you're telling me? You definitely me? have plenty okay. of time considering right. that he does not travel anywhere. I did have a question about Lars Nielsen. He gave his letter to an IRS director. He made that YouTube video, I believe, back in 2019. Are you saying that he did an episode on infants of thrones before yeah. he made the youtube video i think so i mean i don't know when he made the youtube video but uh the way that i remember it uh he he approached me and said hey i want to talk about this and that was the first time he, he was doing something a year or two ago where i think he was working with maybe it was people at netflix or something like that they were going to make a documentary and he was asking if he could get a video copy of that interview i don't know so I, I can find that episode and let you know what it is if you're interested in it. I am definitely going to watch that uh, episode on Infants of Thrones without question. Okay. I am very interested in Ensign Peak and how it operates, of what it does, the fact that we've seen from times past that it's invested in sin stocks and gambling and in Starbucks, and now uh, un perhaps unwittingly investing in terrorist operations. See, this is my tithing money that's in Ensign Peak. I want to follow what- what You still what pay tithing dives? Well, I, my tithing money is in Enzyme Peak, and I imagine that some of yours is too. So that makes me very interested in what they're doing in Enzyme Peak. I'm fascinated by the church finances and especially with the Widow's Might Report. That's mm. the first thing I'm going to do when we're done is I'm going to look up that Infants and Thrones, uh, Lars Nielsen, and listen to it. Because I've watched the letter to an IRS director on his YouTube, which I thought before this time was the only time that he gave a public statement on it. I guess it shows my ignorance. It's episode 603. Uh, it was published December 16th, 2019. And uh, then I did a follow-up with him. That's episode 610. So 603 and 610 are kind of part one and part two. 610 is a little bit more about Lars and his background. Uh, but there's two episodes that kind of cover this. Can't wait. Looking forward to it for sure. Now, um, you know, Glenn, I don't know how much you've been following no. Tim Ballard and the absolute train wreck tragedy that was associated with it. So Tim Ballard, he ran the Operation Underground Railroad there for a few years, which supposedly would rescue children who were being sexually trafficked in far-flung locations. And it turns out also that he had the movie that was Sound of Freedom that came out last summer that was supposedly based on, loosely based on his life. Mm. Well, he's now been basically disgraced. He's been sued. He's been accused of being a grifter. The crazy thing about it is <laughs> when he would go on these uh, psychic trips to these uh, developing countries and these far-flung locations, the way that he supposedly found the children who were being sex trafficked, 
was that he would rely on a psychic named Janet Rusin. But she has just appeared on a podcast. Speaking of podcasts, Glenn, she's just appeared on a podcast. It's called The Last Dispensation, which is a really French podcast out there. The, a psychic who aided Tim Ballard said that she never spoke to the Book of Mormon prophet Nephi. And when she worked with Operation Underground Railroad, she's finally broken her silence. She's been at the center of this big controversy. This has been an incredible mess here with the Tim Ballard. I haven't been following. Like, I, I unplugged from this stuff. You know, you, you mentioned at the beginning of this that I was the first person that you reached out to to co-host i don't follow the news and especially like this mormon lds uh kind of stuff so a friend of mine uh brought the tim ballard stuff to my attention about a month ago and i like psychics for for different reasons not not because i expect them to give me something that i can rely on uh i just like having conversations with them that are uh out of this world but I don't know anything about Janet Russo. Is Janet Russo? Is that her name? I, I, and right, I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't know why it would be important for her to talk to Nephi or not talk to Nephi when she's uh, identifying where these uh, kids are. I don't really know much about. But um, I'm curious. I, I don't know how psychics work. That's for sure. But the alleged oh, they make things up, <laughs> like you and me. <laughs> that's, how, that's how they do it and I they're not and, and they, they claim something other than that but uh, again I would like you and me so. sometimes just in different yeah, ways for sure now from the leaked documents that we have the ten thousand pages of leaked documents uh she supposedly told tim ballard that she was communicating with the prophet nephi who was telling her where these ch children were to be rescued and uh tim ballard I was, know Leha, was nephi using the liahona because if he was and they weren't being very faithful that could be why things were messed up. That's I, I can't confirm that. Like you said, psychics, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the answer to that one. I mean, that's very plausible because I do understand from the Book of Mormon reading that you have to use the Liahona in a prescribed manner. Otherwise, it does not work. So that would make a lot of sense. Not sure about it. Mm -hmm. But uh, Tim Ballard, he did strike back this week. You know, he's been sued as being a grifter. Uh, you know, took hundreds of thousands of dollars of donations from people and allegedly didn't rescue a single soul. And, mm. uh, you know, he's also been accused uh, of sexual assault by a number of women. There's a couple of criminal investigations against him. And now uh, Operation Underground Railroad uh, countersues a woman who has accused Tim Ballard of sexual assault. So the attorneys here say that the woman who's a former employee and an assistant in Tim Ballard, he's now countersued. So the, the lawsuits are getting thick in the middle of this. This is a big story because I don't know. Tim Ballard is, you know, he was a sound of freedom. He was a hero both within the Mormon community and without the Mormon community. Now the, he's been excommunicated from the church. He's been sued a number of times. He's lost all of his position. He's lost his entire persona. Allegedly, his uh, marriage is also um, having a challenge. And now he's countersuing. He's striking back. It's a big, giant mess. And this is the kind of thing that I, I find interesting. I like to watch this incredible dumpster fire. I do hope that justice is served in this case, especially for these women who seem to have credibly accused him of sexual assault. But I like watching dumpster fires, Glenn. Mm. What would justice be in this case for you? What would you like to see happen? Oh, I, I could not possibly prejudge. That's that's one thing that I, I cannot do. I, I don't have the evidence in this. I haven't seen the court. I mean, we have seen the court filings, Glenn. We've seen the pages and pages of accusations that have been released also from the amended complaints. But we, we really need to solve these uh, cases from a jury of our peers. I mean, we have a criminal justice system. And I couldn't possibly speculate as to what is going to happen as far as justice is concerned. It appears to me 
that Tim Ballard took hundreds of thousands of dollars or millions of people from a lot of wealthy, mostly Mormons, some non-Mormons, but a lot of Mormons, and that he didn't rescue anyone. If that's the case, then he needs to face the music and also the sexual harassment, sexual uh, assault complaints. If those are justified, and it appears from everything that I've seen, it appears that they are, um, then he also needs to face the music on that. So uh, Tim Ballard's career, hopefully as a grifter, um, I hope that it's going to be over, and I hope that, like I said, justice is served. I don't know what that means. I, I couldn't speculate, but I hope that justice is served. I like that word grifter. What <laughs> what, uh, uh, what exactly is a grifter? A, a grifter is like a con man? Because uh, like I, I have this picture of like a hobo that's riding a train when you say the word grifter. Tim Ballard, for me, is kind of like a modern archetype of Joseph Smith. You know, Joseph Smith had the stone Whoa. in the hat. He, he right. went on multiple treasure digs. He told people, he made up stories um, using the occult, just like Tim Ballard, you know, channeling the prophet Nephi, channeling psychics, dabbling in the occult mm -hmm. to allegedly find uh, either, for Joseph Smith, buried treasure and golden art, uh, artifacts. And Tim Ballard, it's rescuing children. I see them as very similar to each other. And also think mm. about Tim Ballard. He's been incredibly accused by multiple women of sexual grooming, of sexual assault. Joseph Smith, it's in the same vein. This is just a modern uh, reincarnation of Joseph Smith. A couple of our other articles here to get you through here, and this was also went uh, very, very viral here. Uh, the, you know, the church and the sexual assault has uh, been, yeah. you know, very, very sad stories uh, throughout the uh, throughout the year. In fact, next week we're going to be releasing our top ten here, Glenn. Top ten Mormon stories of the year. We're going to be doing that with the Mormonish podcasting hosts. But uh, this is, uh, you know, the church has had a very, very bad year in sexual assault, just like our last article um, brought out. What would a good year in sexual assault be, Dives? I don't think oh, there's well, any good year. Of, I don't think you could have, I'm sorry. I, well, I, no, absolutely. A good year in Th sexual This is assault. what I do, Dives. I, maybe you should have mentioned that Infants on Thrones, the tagline is the philosophies of men mingled with humor. Yeah. Because like I can't help but joke around about stuff. So I apologize if I'm being too flippant on these things. It's pretty hard to make a rape joke. I'm just putting that out there, Glenn. But yeah. if anyone can do it, Infants on Thrones can. No. I don't know if I'm quite there yet because sexual no. assault, that's kind of a touchy subject. But if you're asking me what would a good year look like for sex? No, I'm not. I'm not. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> that's, 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 only infants from Thunder Thrones could make that joke. But yeah. what, what I'm saying is, what could a good year look like for sexual assault in the church? Of course, a good year would be, you know, implementing mandatory background checks for every single person mm. who's going to be working with children, you know, showing accountability for past uh, injustices. Well, the church has been sued by class action of the Boy Scouts, and they only copped up $250 million to settle that class action, which was rejected by the judge so the church lowballed all of those uh, thousands of scouts there's a, you know, the church could do implement best training practices for bishops right now all they have to do is like a 30 minute online module once a year they could do real training by credentialed persons and have continuing education for the people who are working with children they could have in every single stake they could have a domestic violence or a sexual assault prevention coordinator the, the church could have a much better year than what it has now they could take President Nelson could take responsibility. He could meet with survivors. The church could, uh, you know, value the the victims over its own bank account. The church can have a much better year than it has had. I mean, there's, there's. You're asking me what can the church do? A lot. That's a really good a answer. That's a yeah. really good answer. The church can do a ton more than what it's doing. And what we're seeing instead is, see, this is Jasmine over at Scripture Plus. And Jasmine, I assume that she is also paid by the church because Scripture Plus is a part of Scripture Central, which receives approximately $20 million a year from the church to do 
apologetics or church defending the defending the church. She's put out this video here just this in the last couple of days here, Glenn, which I want to get your reaction to. Mm. Even if you don't follow Mormon news, maybe as carefully as I do, hopefully you will see what she's saying here and have a reaction. So this is from Scripture Plus, which has tens of thousands of followers. Mm. She says, a common question I hear when talking about preventing sexual assault is why doesn't the church do background checks? Surely we want to be thorough in vetting the people that will work with your youth and children. Well, let's hear what Jasmine has to say. A common question I hear when talking about preventing SA is why doesn't the church do background checks? Surely we want to be thorough in vetting the people that will work with our youth and children. Well, for those who feel strongly about background checks, you may be encouraged to hear that the church is apparently beginning to implement background checks for children and youth calling in the UK. I don't know if they're planning to implement this more widely in the future. But an important thing to understand is that mandatory background checks can be counterproductive. Let me explain what I mean by this. Background checks do not screen for people who have committed SA. They don't. They only screen for people who have been formally charged and or convicted of SA. And that's a really high bar to pass. Most perpetrators tragically have not been apprehended by the law and so would clear a background check. This can instill a false sense of security and we can put our guard down around unsafe people. For example, the case in Bisbee, Arizona, where a man committed horrific SA against his children. At the time of the incidents, he was not convicted of any crime and so he could have cleared a background check. And in fact, he did clear a background check because he worked for the government. And so while a background check can screen for some major things, there are some pretty severe limitations that sometimes can outweigh the benefits. So this is just one more thing we have to consider when grappling with this really complicated issue. All right, Glenn, uh, background checks can give you a false sense of security. I don't see any problem with anything that she said. What I think that she said was uh, people are calling for background checks and you might be glad to hear that they're starting to implement that. But background checks aren't going to solve the problem completely. Uh, if, if you think that having background checks is really going to keep the kids safe from sexual predators, there are more things that need to happen. It's not just background checks, because if you just do a background check and you think, okay, that did it, then you've got a false sense of security and people who haven't been convicted that would clear a background check could still have access to, to children. And so there's more steps that would need to be taken. That's what I take away from that video and what she was saying. So I, I don't find anything particularly upsetting or controversial uh, about what she said. She seems to be arguing that uh, background checks, because they are not a silver bullet, as you mentioned, there is no one size fits all panacea in this particular case. It's incredibly complex. It needs to have partnerships from the government, from churches, from individuals. It needs to be an all hands on deck approach to reducing this horrific um, sexual assault, which seems to be blighting in the church and without the church. Yeah, so, so it seems to me that she's saying, well, because background checks are not a silver bullet, because they will not catch everyone, and she cites a case where background checks would not have caught everyone, that background checks don't need to be done. And I find that to be a very harmful- Did she mindset. say that they don't need to be done? I may have missed that part. I, I, didn't, I didn't get that from what she was saying. I would say that it was implied because Scripture Plus is always out there to defend the church's position. And the church's position is that they do not engage in background checks for people who are working with children unless but that particular state mm. or that particular country requires them to do it. So that's why she's saying, I get questions as to why the church doesn't do background checks. She says, well, it's because background checks don't catch everyone. But the problem I have with that is that background checks will catch some. It's not going to catch all. It's going to catch some. So if you talk to the children, if you talk to the women who have been abused, 
who their perpetrators would have been caught by those background checks, look them in the eye and tell them that background checks give a false sense of security. So that's the pushback or the issue that I have with her video. Mm. And a lot of people have said that that's, um, I don't know, that's a very harmful mindset because the best practices in the industry, everyone, all other churches, um, nonprofits, a lot of states, a lot of countries require people to have background checks. But she seems to be saying, well, it's not that big of a deal. I think it is a really big deal. Uh, yeah, I agree with you. I mean, I, I think the thing that's a big deal, pr protection to, to prevent it from happening, but also you're not going to be able to prevent all of them from happening. So what do you do with those, uh, you know, where, where it has happened? I, about three years ago, I went back to school to get a master's degree in clinical mental health counseling to become a therapist. And I've been working as a life coach for the last four years, um, working with with people, with clients that have issues, some who have been abused in the church. And I read a book that really made a big change on how I view uh, this situation. And it's called The Body Keeps the Score. It's about how abuse uh, stays with you and impacts you for your entire life, how it changes the way that you're able to trust people, the way that you process information. Uh, so yeah, the, the, the body keeps the score. I absolutely, I, I think that should be required reading for everybody because you never know when you're interacting with somebody, whoever it is, you don't know if they were abused when they were a kid. A lot of times they don't even know if they were abused when they were a kid. They might have uh, these ramifications of abuse and neglect and all, there's, there's, there's a lot of that that happens in the church, even outside of the, the sexual abuse that you're talking about. But we're all carrying around this stuff, man. Every single person is carrying around trauma that impacts the way that you view the world and how comfortable you feel in your own skin and how comfortable you feel with others. And so, you know, background checks to me is uh, it, it's important and it's a small piece, but I... I'm glad that she said, you know, it could give you a false sense of security. If you think that background checks is the only thing, no, you know, like educate yourself. On, everybody should educate themselves on this because like you said, it's, it's a bigger epidemic than the Mormon church, much, much bigger epidemic than the Mormon church. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Appreciate your thoughts on that. Now you can find the Mormon News Roundup. You can find us on Apple Podcasts as long, along with Infants on Thrones. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're also on YouTube and we're also on Instagram. We're on TikTok. If you come on over to our social media, let us know what you think about uh, Jasmine's viral video. Is uh, she right? Is Glenn right? What's the What should the church do with regards to minimizing the abuse that comes with, from uh, child sexual assault? All right. Uh, this, this might be my last insert, but uh, if you were listening closely, you'll hear that I laughed at what Dives just said. And if you watch the video, you'll see that I laughed because I want to explain why I was laughing when the subject is sexual abuse. What I was laughing about was how he didn't respond to anything that I said, but said, we appreciate your approach and then went for a plug of his stuff and my stuff too, both on Apple. You can check it out anywhere here and comment for yourself. Is uh, Jasmine right or is Glenn right? And it's just like setting up this black and white uh, thing that's a cognitive distortion. Anyway, it just like that really kind of struck me as funny that I I gave this answer that I don't know. Like I, I'm kind of uncomfortable being 
on this podcast talking about current news things, and especially when it seems like all we're, we're really here to do is to be outraged by what the Mormon Church is doing, and let's let's be outraged by this and be outraged by that. And Glenn, what? How are you outraged? And then when I don't have an outrage for it, um, maybe it doesn't fit. I don't know. That's how I felt. Whether that's what was really going on or not, that's how I felt. So, uh, Gestalt therapy, Josh, you can let me know if I did that the right way of being in the moment. No, you don't need to. I already know that I did. It's kind of big news, too, here. The Pope Francis has uh, formally approved Catholic bishops to bless same-sex unions, saying people seeking God's love shouldn't be subject to an exhaustive moral analysis. And, uh, you know, we talked about this in the pre-show, that it's just amazing how many religions, uh, even Christian religions out there, are starting to approve with same-sex unions, and it just it's leaving the LDS Church far behind, shall we say, the social wars. I recommend that everybody leave the Mormon Church far behind, uh, <laughs> especially... You know, those who are, are in same-sex relationships. I don't know. I And I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek because I know that the Mormon church is very valuable for uh, people that it's valuable for. So I wouldn't want to take that away from you. I just say be careful. <laughs> but I say be careful with everything, really. Uh, and any organization that you're involved with or any ideology that you're dogmatically clutching uh, to, uh, be careful with that and become more aware Okay. But, uh, since Infants on Thrones is famous for your jokes, I'm trying to keep it light here because uh, the Babylon <laughs> B, which is one of my favorite uh, satirist websites here, yeah. it says that uh, the Pope, right after Pope Francis uh, released that kind of bombshell, uh, because, you know, the church had for many years said that they're not going to do same-sex marriage. Well, Pope Francis, he's now excommunicated the Apostle Paul over his outdated views on women and marriage. So that's kind of a lighter take on it. But the, the most famous Mormon, actually, in my opinion here, Glenn, um, is probably Mr. Charlie Bird. You know, he's the former Cosmo the Cougar. Um, okay. And he just released this last week here. This is, in my opinion, probably the most famous uh, gay member of the church. He just released in the last week that he is uh, he's getting gotten married to Ryan, his uh, fiance. We're seeing again is the church being left far behind in the social wars. And if you look at, uh, for instance, David A. Bednar in the National uh, Press Club briefing last last year, which is where he was asked about gay marriage, he gave absolutely no—he didn't give a, a, a tiny, the tiniest bit of wiggle room. He says that marriage is between a man and a woman. He didn't say that we're praying about it. He didn't say that we're seeking a revelation on it. He said that you know he quoted the family proclamation, and there's no wiggle room. And considering the fact that he is most likely going to be the president of the church, probably in about five years time frame from now, and then again, probably for the next 20 years after that, you're not going to see the church change positions on this, in my opinion, for the next 25 years. Any last thoughts on Pope Francis and uh, the LGBTQ issues? I, I, I told you earlier that I kind of view everything as uh, growth and progression, and we're in different stages. And and I think, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm old enough that I have seen this change in my own life where things have become much more uh, open and accepting and there's pockets of resistance to that change and that growth and the mormon church is definitely one it's it's one where they've been very clear they're doubling down uh on what's right and what's wrong <laughs> i hope it changes i'd be shocked if in 30 or 40 years uh it, it hasn't changed i think it'll soften i think it'll change because uh the fluidity of love from person to person is part of the growth that I think we're moving towards just culturally as a body of humanity. I think we're becoming more and more accepting of things, even though uh, there are these pockets of resistance to, to change. So I, I've got an optimistic view of the future. 
on that. And uh, really happy that I've distanced myself from the, the Mormon church and from those teachings that used to keep me feeling like there was something wrong. You know, like I, I've got two daughters that are gender fluid. And when before they were born, I remember talking with their mom, um, my ex-wife, um, what are we going to do if they have friends when they go to school who are gay or if they're going to go to a slumber party and they're, they've got two moms or if they got two dads, like we're, we're putting these kids into this evil, evil, evil world. And I really believed that. I really felt that. And again, it, it took a while for me to go, wait, 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 why is that evil again? What's wrong about it? Yeah. I don't think it is. So I, I hope everybody else uh, gets on that same page of compassionate understanding and acceptance. Uh, that that's, if, if I can help people become more compassionate and accepting and understanding, then that's what I want to do and, and have fun doing it with some humor. Well, that's definitely the tagline of the Infants on Thrones, the philosophies of men mingled with humor. So that's definitely a good approach for sure. Yeah. A couple of other uh, big articles that came out for, from this week as well is this is another, there's always seems to be so many Mormon scandals, Glenn, and um, I, I like to keep up on them myself. So I, that's, what you, that's what you get with the Mormon News Roundup. And this is yeah. LDS billionaire. Uh, Trevor Milton, he's one of the wealthiest Mormons, or I guess he was, uh, on the planet. He has been sentenced to four years today for uh, defrauding investors of $500 million. He was really one of the wealthiest Mormons around. Ed, what more can you tell us? Yeah, so Nicola founder Trevor Milton has been sentenced to four years in prison. The four years is significantly lower than the 11-year term that the government was pushing for and that probation officials had recommended based on the one count of securities fraud and two counts of wire fraud, of which he was found guilty in October 2022. But it's still a significant sentence, four years. Uh, you know, as you said... Trevor Milton was found guilty of misleading investors over the progress that his company had made in its early stages, the capabilities of its technology. Um, and, you know, this is a trial that we at Bloomberg have been following very closely for, for a number of years. You know, we kind of first broke the news in June 2020 that Milton, according to our sources, had made misstatements about the capabilities of Nikola's early technology. But four years is what it is, uh, is what the sentence is. Just a quick point of interest. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams, whose office led this trial, is the same office that got a guilty conviction on Sam Bankman-Fried. And they've kind of promised to crack down on this white collar financial crime area this is their latest successful victory. Well, that's where I was just going to go, in fact, Ed, because this is a signal potentially for how Sam Bankman-Fried might be sentenced. Does it, though, depend on the judge? I'm sure Damian Williams doesn't particularly see this as a win, four years, particularly when you think about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos getting 11 years. Yeah, at the core of this case was whether or not retail investors in particular had been moved to take action by Trevor Milton's statements, particularly on social media. And in debate around his sentencing, the reason that the government stated it was important to have strict sentencing was to avoid any temptation by future actors to behave in the same way and such that you know, the everyday investor could receive harm. That was kind of the motivation from the government side of this case. They wanted to see strong action to deter any similar behavior in the future. His company, Nikola, think about Nikola Tesla. They made electric semi-trucks. 
Okay, but it turned out that the only prototype that they ever actually made, it was a complete joke. It couldn't drive. They they towed it up to the top of like Parley's Canyon in Utah, and it only coasted down for the promotional video. He built all these people out of hundreds of millions of dollars. He's a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. To my knowledge, hasn't been excommunicated yet. It just seems like it seems like we see a lot of Mormons here, Glenn, that um I don't know. There's something in the water about it that uh, the defrauding people just comes uh, come naturally. I don't, I, what do you think? Yeah, oh, I think it's a lot bigger than Mormons. I, I don't think that there's anything particularly Mormon about it. But I, what what made me laugh in that news story was uh, when they were talking about the sentencing and was it enough? And it, it, is it enough to deter future criminals from doing anything like I, I, I don't I don't think that this guy really was uh, looking at what he was going to do and go, well, you know, the punishment system is pretty uh, lenient right now. So I think it's a good opportunity for me to go and uh, uh, grift. Is that what he was doing? In my studies uh, for clinical mental health counseling, I came across uh, William Glasser, who's the founder of reality uh, therapy, reality theory, uh, choice theory. And uh, one particular idea that he had uh, really stuck out to me. And it, it was this idea of external control psychology, where you're trying to control other people. You're trying to control the outside world. And he came up with these the seven deadly habits of external control psychology. And I'm not sure I remember all seven of them off the top of my head, but it was things like complaining and uh, bribing and punishing. Yeah, the seven deadly habits of external control psychology are criticizing, blaming, complaining, nagging, threatening, punishing, and bribing. And I didn't make this very clear in what I said in this answer to Dives, but one of the reasons why I'm interested in this, because those seven deadly habits, the reason they're called deadly habits is because they kill relationships, and it also... It corrodes you from inside. It, 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 it takes you from a place of feeling peace and harmony. And it creates a very, very stressful environment that can have long uh, impacts on your life, big impacts on your life. And so what Glasser was saying, instead of these seven deadly habits, why don't you try interacting with people in a way that's it's supporting, encouraging, listening, accepting, trusting, respecting, and negotiating differences? Not as a way to change the outside world, but as a way to change your own internal state inside, to create more peace inside of yourself, so that you're in a better place to make important decisions, rather than from a place of being triggered and uh, all that stuff. So anyway, that's my insert here. What do you think about it? Huh? Huh? What do you think about it? Punishing is the one that I really wanted to bring up here, because you're using a punishment as a way to try to control behavior. And I know there's another story that you've got coming up here where there are some parents that were trying to control their kids through punishment. And when you're trying to control other people using these really toxic things, uh, William Glasser suggests caring habits of like listening and empathy as an antidote to the, uh, the controlling habits. And I'm sorry, I don't have that more uh, off the top of my head that I can talk about it in more detail. But I see news stories like this and stuff like this happens. It's going to keep happening. There's going to be people out there who are trying to cheat other people, especially when there's so much that you, you know, you can make a lot of money from cheating people. And if you don't have any uh, problem with cheating people and exploiting people, and it's all about like how much money you can make and all of the status and fame and whatever you get 
uh, <laughs> clout, power from exploiting other people, if that's in your nature, then you're going to do it, whether you're Mormon or not. And I, I do think that the system of Mormonism lead more people to think it's okay to exploit those that aren't worthy or don't deserve it or, you know, things like that, where there's this kind of us versus them, the worthy versus the unworthy. It's kind of uh, easy for Mormons to think that. But again, I don't think that's an exclusively Mormon thing. I think you see that everywhere. And it, it's it's a, it's a problem. Yeah, fair enough. You definitely see it everywhere. It's just amazing to me that this is the second uh, big time fraud case this year that has reached $500 million. There was another case back in February where more, this was in Las Vegas, where Mormons targeted, were targeted an alleged $500 million Ponzi scheme. So we, we've had, and that was also run by a Mormon. So we've had two, count them, two this year, $500 million Mormon led fraud schemes. Well, let's, let, let's say three, because you've already mentioned Ensign Peak. <laughs> and and we could say four because you talked about tithing. <laughs> if you're adding on, we'll also add five. The Mormon News Roundup Patreon. That's also oh, but deep. that's not. Are, are you exploiting people? You're you're giving them. You're give, you're you're doing a valuable exchange. Oh, here, okay. I think so. Dives. Yeah, it's very very far different than those other folks. I guess I this was so. a bad time to bring up the Patreon for sure. But, uh, <laughs> uh, it just seems to be something in the water. There's a reason that Utah is the MLM capital of the world. There's a reason that so much fraud is perpetrated, and it seems to be outsized from you know the latest analysis here, Glenn, is that there's approximately eight hundred thousand to a million. A temple recommend holding endowed members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but they are engaging in a fraud level which seems to be outsized from their normal population. And mm. that, uh, that to me is concerning. Yeah, well, why are we seeing these levels of grifting from Tim Ballard, from this case, from the other uh, Las Vegas case? We continue to see it time and time again. And reporters like Lynn Packard and others keep shining a light on this. And um, I, I don't know. It's very concerning to me. With that concern, like if you really are seeing that there's this disproportionate ratio of Mormons that are more e easily exploitable, what do you do with that? Like if that's what you've seen and that's what you're feeling and you're concerned about it, like, what do you do with that? That's a very, very interesting question. The only thing that I can do is try to shine a light on these things that I see. I mean, I have a very small podcast. It's, it's very, very small and compared to infants on thrones or any others. I try to shine a light on it and point out some of the harmful practices. I don't really have a call to action. I don't have a silver bullet. The only thing I could say is that you need to be very careful because, you know, in Mormonism, it teaches you to trust other people based on their their calling or based on their position or, or based on, I don't know, their relationship or, or how holy they are or how many prayers they give a night. And we need to be, you know, very careful in, for all of us to examine any claims, uh, supernatural claims or, or financial claims that other people present to us, especially knowing that Mormons can be targeted because of their implicit trust in other people. Mormons yeah. are a very trusting people. And yeah. so we just need to watch out for it. I mean, I know that seems very pithy and pretty small, and this is a small podcast, but that's the only answer that I have. Well, I'm glad it's just a small podcast and not a pithy podcast. You, you mentioned the word trust, I think three times. And that's that's key, right? Because when when things like this are happening, it makes it hard to trust. And when you lose trust, what are you losing when, when it's hard to trust? There's the saying that trust isn't given, it's earned or, you know, like something like that, which I think is baloney. Again, another one of these fictional things that you hear and you just accept and you're like, okay, yeah, like trust is something that you give, <laughs> whether somebody has earned it or not. Somebody could do whatever, like I've done all the things. Why don't you trust me yet? I'm still not sure. Trust is one of these things. 
you know, going back to that book I mentioned earlier, the body keeps the score. If, if you don't feel comfortable, you're not going to trust. And so maybe the, maybe the overall message is, here is that the Mormon church makes people feel so comfortable that they're comfortable trusting without doing a lot of due diligence, or maybe they don't even know what to look for, for red flags. I don't necessarily want to live in a world where everybody is so afraid of everybody else that they just don't give their trust. I, I, I think trying to find that medium ground where you can healthily trust the people that you're interacting with, that trust the people in your life, even trusting yourself. I mean, trust is a huge, huge issue there. So yeah, you got people that are defrauding people out of millions of dollars and getting fooled. That happens all the time. How do you protect yourself to make sure that doesn't happen to you? Uh, that's kind of what I'm, what I was asking, you know, like, what do you do with something like this? How, how do you take, uh, when you hear something like this in the news and go, well, how am I going to improve my life based on what's going on here and this concern that I have? Personally, I am trying to be very careful with my investments and, and who it is that I trust. And, and just yeah. because somebody has a high ecclesiastical office or, or pretends to be a uh, person who is incredibly spiritual, that does not necessarily mean for me that I'm going to give them an implicit trust into doing things which could harm others. And that also runs right into our next article here, which is yeah. YouTube mom, uh, yeah. Ruby Frankie. So Ruby Frankie, she was a, a big time Mormon influencer who, you know, had hundreds of thousands of followers. You look on her uh, social media pages and she's a very shiny, happy person. And it seems like everything is great on the outside. But then what happens is she was arrested for uh, six counts of child abuse and she has now just pled guilty. This is a big time Mormon influencer who has hundreds of thousands of followers here, maybe even millions across all of our social media platforms. And she's been brought, you asked me about justice. Well, we've seen her be brought to justice for her incredibly harmful. Full, uh, parenting techniques where she wouldn't feed her children. She would duct tape them. They were emaciated. And now she's been brought to justice and uh, she's pled guilty here, Glenn. Ms. Frankie, how do you plead to count one aggravated child abuse, a second degree felony? Guilty. To count three aggravated child abuse, a second degree felony? Guilty. To count five aggravated child abuse, a second degree felony? Guilty. And to count six, aggravated child abuse, a second degree felony. With my deepest regret and sorrow for my family and my children, guilty. I guess the theme of this particular episode is trust, because even the members of her own family saw that she was a harmful, had a harmful men mentality. She, um, you know, was a very abusive to her children. She was very, I don't know, she had put on the appearances of being a great Mormon. And then when you peel back the onion, she was a reprehensible mother. And it's not just about like we saw, saw with Tim Ballard with the grifting or with uh, Trevor Milton with the bilking people out of millions of dollars. It's about, you know, the trust that other members of the church give to one another. Her own family members said that they saw a pattern of abuse for years with her, but never reported it because and, and that's the question. Why didn't anyone report this? Even some of her own family members knew of the abuse and they could have stopped it before it got out of hand, but nobody ever did. Remember, we have the ministering program in the church where people are visiting each other every single month, checking up on people. I mean, they had a YouTube account here that had a lot of red flags, but no one seemed to do anything until it was too late. How many stories like this are out there? You know, like it, I got very emotional watching that. Um, I, there's, there's no doubt in my mind that she herself is the uh, that she was abused uh, in some ways, that, that the way that she's acting out towards her children is a kind of learned behavior, um, not just from you know, the, the culture of Mormonism, but whatever was uh, back in her past, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Uh, in fact, I would expect to find something 
like that. Uh, when I was five years old, I'm the oldest of three, and my dad thought that I was too uh, rambunctious or rowdy or uh, irreverent or you know whatever he thought that I was, and that I needed to be taught a lesson in obedience. And so I, I, I live in Arizona. Um, he took me out in the middle of the desert, five years old, put a blindfold on me, put me in the middle of a cactus patch and said, uh, no, it, in order for you to get out of this cactus patch unscathed, you're going to need to listen very closely to what I tell you to do and do precisely what I say. And this is the object lesson where I'm like God and you're living in mortality and all these challenges of life. And if you listen to the heavenly father, you'll get through unscathed. And so he tried to teach me this object lesson and I ended up walking into a cactus that he didn't see. And it was just a horrible, <laughs> a horrible experience. But even when I talk to my dad today, who, who my dad is still uh, active devout member of the church, he thinks that what he did was awesome. He, he thought, he's like, yeah, the, the execution might have had some snags, but uh, it was a really good idea, really good object lesson. And it, it, it's one of the reasons why that uh, William Glasser external control psychology spoke so much to me, you know, because here he's trying to he's trying to get me to be different than I am by punishing <laughs> me. And I know that this YouTube mom was doing a lot of really horrific things to her kids in the same way. And I'm sure it was done to her and it's done in to, to various degrees um, by so many people in and out of the church. So again, you know, if, if there's a common theme to me from what we've been talking about today, trust is definitely a part of it, but trauma is a big, is probably bigger. And the impacts of trauma, um, you know, you, you get these sensational stories that come out in the news where you can see this trauma, this trauma, this trauma, this trauma, this trauma. All right, let's, let's push pause and look inside what's inside of you that has been caused by trauma and what kind of trauma are you pushing out into the world without even knowing it, without even being aware of it? What kind of trauma are you doing? So that's what I see with this woman in this story is that it just got to a certain place. Why isn't anybody whistleblowing her on her trauma when they see the pattern of behavior? Because this is the soup. This is what we swim in. This is the, the culture that we live in. Uh, there's just so much of this. It made me really emotional. Dives. I Maybe I should have prefaced that with a trigger warning in advance. I know a lot of people do that because, um, you know, unfortunately, we do cover a lot of the most... Uh, scandalous and the most controversial uh, articles and unfortunately there is a lot of abuse that um, uh, members of the church perpetrate on one another and also are the recipients of it whether they're being defrauded or whether the children are being abused sexually or whether mothers are um, not not being not not doing what they're supposed to do I mean, there is a lot of trauma and that's one unfortunate reality that i was going to say that comes with reality <laughs> uh, yeah i mean it comes with reality it also comes with religion as well um you know ruby founded the connections academy which is basically a mormon influenced cult religion can teach you to do a lot of harmful things in the name of god and that's really where we got the lori vallow that's where we get the ruby frankies and that's where we get some of the most harmful abuse like tim ballard who was allegedly channeling psychics and religion can lead to a lot of harmful mentality. And I guess we're just seeing that. And, you know, I don't know. I do this podcast every week. So maybe it's the fact, I think you're pointing out to me, Glenn, the fact that I've kind of been numbed to some of the trauma 
that is associated with LDS news and, and, and the news and the headlines. And since you don't follow this space as carefully as I do, it's more, maybe it's a little bit more raw to you. And maybe that's a, an indictment of me that I need to look a little bit better within oh, myself to have a little bit more empathy for these particular cases. People who have followed Infants on Thrones from the beginning, it definitely shifted its tone. When we, we started out, there were six of us and now it's only me. But there were six of us, and we were the rowdy guys that would sit on the back row of church and make fun of stuff. And, and there was a lot of flippancy in it. And uh, I got to a certain point where I, I started recognizing these patterns that I kept seeing over and over and over again that had to do with the way that people think and the way that they process information. And I was introduced to this uh, cognitive behavioral therapy, CBT, and these cognitive distortions that we have. And I started recognizing the relationship between the way that I was raised, the things that I was taught as a, a Mormon, uh, contributing to a black and white way of seeing the world, or that I happened to make uh, mountains out of molehills and catastrophize and doing all these different things. I, I, I wasn't reasoning very well. I wasn't taking everything into consideration. I'd like hyper focus on one area and ignore other things that if I was focusing on these other things, it would create more of a balance. And that's what really made a shift in me. And I think in the tone of the podcast where I, I got interested in mental health, I got interested in psychology and really wanting to work with people individually to help where they can. But I, I also think a big part of that was just for me to do my own healing uh, of things that I hadn't even been aware of and I'm things that I'm still discovering uh, about my my past and my history and why I think the way that I do and feel the way that I do and some of this unconscious programming that I'm carrying around with me that in the early days of Infants on Thrones I wasn't really interested in that I wasn't focused on any of that stuff it was just like the Mormon church says that they're true but look here's evidence that they're not let's make fun of that you know like people believe this but look how stupid it is and now I'm I'm much more interested in why is it that that belief is there in the first place? It means something. There's something there's something that's going on there. Yeah, I want to explore that more and really create a sense of peace and tranquility within myself and with others as much as I possibly can because there's so much not peace and tranquility in the world. Uh, like I, I I don't want to contribute to that. I'd rather contribute to peace and tranquility. So what can I do? That's that's. That's it. And, I, and I'm not trying to call you out on anything times at all. What you're doing is perfect and what you're doing is serving a lot of people and serving yourself. And it's great. So, <laughs> Well, I guess I gravitate most to the Infants on Thrones episodes where you do the smackdowns and it's a little yeah. bit more irreverent humor. I guess that's just my personal cup of tea. Sure. And uh, maybe you're just a little bit more of a serious person than I am. Which I'm in I my can... 50s now, man. <laughs> well, I can definitely respect that, but we do, we have to end on a, a little bit of a light note. I got two last uh, articles and they are on the lighter side to kind of remind you of what the Infants and Thrones used to be like once upon a time. You know, they dedicated in St. George two temples. And, you know, this article here from Cat Country, they said, you know, we where can we put the third temple in St. George? And by the way, I did grow up in St. George. I grew up in Oklahoma, as I mentioned earlier, and I also grew up in St. George. Uh, how do you like that? So I need you to give me a one to 10. How do you like that uh, particular temple location there? That one to 10. Is that a good spot for it? Or what do you think? 
No, I wish that the lettering wasn't there because I'd like to see what the parking situation is like, maybe on the other <laughs> side of the temple there. I think you might have to you might have to have like the spelunking or repelling or rock climbing merit badge in order to uh, do endowments for that one. I don't know. Yeah, you might have to take a shuttle into that one or repel into it. But let's take a look, couple look at this. How's that for a temple? Gorgeous in Ivan's right near Tuacon. How does that look? To, does that look pretty good to you? What do you think about that one? Is that a moat? in front of it? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> Tuacon is that famous uh, center for the performing arts. And so, uh, you know, they said, Hey, why don't we try a temple out there? That is one heck of a structure. Or uh, let's go with number three uh, with, with the Dixie. This is from that first one there, right on the top of that Dixie, famous Dixie sign. Yeah. St. George. How's that look? I'm not that familiar with St. George. So this, these are probably lost on me a little bit, but uh, you know, or how but, about in hurricane temple? Uh, hurricane they're temple? all just so gaudy and monstrous, you know, like, that's I, yeah. a handsome, that is a handsome temple though. though but it's that not, is... it's not, you know, I, I got married. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Look at the... this one. Look yeah. At that, that one. That's no, a, that... Nah, that is now, now we're talking about a temple. If you're going to do a temple, that's doing it right there. Glenn. Look at that thing. No, that's not a tent. That's, that's from the Lord of the Rings. Oh, it's Isengard. It's the white city. Now, how's this for an edit? I, I didn't think it looked like Isengard. I think it looked like Gondor and it actually does look more like Gondor than Isengard. But he added out that I said that it looked like Gondor. So it was a pretty self-serving edit there, Dives. Huh? It looks like Gondor, not Isengard, man. You're wrong. Wrong. <laughs> okay. This is a, or Springdale Temple. Um, you know, this is or or, or the Saint, or the Gorge Temple. I guess this is a bit in tongue in cheek here because you know that's the most amazing thing is we've already got two temples in Saint George and they're yeah. already scouting out another one here. And as we found that's out from great. the Wall Street Journal, these are like uh, seventy million dollar buildings and they're yeah. just plunking them down left, right, and center. <laughs> yeah. So the I guess that's the the most sacred place. <laughs> I personally prefer the Isengard one myself. I think that that's a I think that that's a good look myself. But I personally do not think that St. George needs a third temple. I hardly think that they need a second temple. And the church just finally finished uh wrapping up its uh, Book of Mormon video series. This is mm. a 45 episode in-depth series here which is going to be released in 2024 and and here we have it. Look at this uh the the title of Liberty here. Unfortunately, Glenn, that uh those kind of characters were not anywhere in the Americas, but I guess you can kind of just look past that, if you will. Um, sure. Yeah, you'll have to look past that one. And then here's the next uh, picture that's uh, from the series. Again, metal plates in the new world. Glenn, we're, we're over two. There were no metal plates of any substance in the new world. That's, uh, you know, we're not batting a very good average here. We're over two. And uh, same same here. We have uh, people with the steel swords and, and the are, daggers. Are these pictures that you're showing me actually from the filming? Yeah. Yeah. No, this oh, isn't a joke. Okay. This is actually from the film itself. Yeah. So we're... Oh, we don't have these kind of characters, so we're over one. We don't have yeah. these kind of metal plates, we're over two. We don't have the steel swords, we're over three. Once again, the um, engraving on metal plates uh, didn't really happen there, and we're just seeing a lot of uh, anachronistic stuff here in the video series, which kind of got me going here, Glenn. I kind of I like that you. picture right there. With the, that is nice. The stones. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's never yeah. that's that's never how I pictured it in my mind. I don't like that there's an extra hand there. Oh, oh, is that the brother of Jared that's like yes. ducking down and like watching it yes. happen? Oh, okay. Yes, that Moranhai himself. Yeah. You got it. Um, that really got me thinking, Glenn. I was like, you know what? What would I like to see? Because those are not the uh, the scenes that I want to see in the new Book of Mormon uh, series. So I came up with some ideas. It's a, the Mormon News Roundup poll of the week. Uh, Glenn, if you would be the first person to take our poll, I'd be very grateful for that. All right. What are the top 10 scenes you want to see in the new Book of Mormon video series? 
Number one, 2000 BCE, transoceanic Jaredite submarine, complete with honeybees. This gives you the general idea here of where the holes should be, length of the tree, need the swarms for the bees, need the stones, and, and you know much heavier than a fowl. That's what I want to see is how those submarines work. That's what I want to see in the video series. And I bet you, Glenn, that we're not going to see that in those videos. I would love to see that, actually. That would sure. be really... There's a, lot, there's a lot of things from Book of Ether story that would be cool to see. It sure would be. That's uh, choice number one. For those of you yeah. in the live chat, by the way, we release all of our episodes live on Sunday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you're in the live chat, be prepared to cast your vote at this time. Or is it uh, number two? Alma and Amulek sitting on their hands watching women and children burnt alive. And this is actually, yeah. Glenn, this is actually from the Book of Mormon Reader, you know, that you probably grew up with as a kid. I know I did. But this is yeah. them, Amulek and Alma. They're sitting there watching women and children being burned alive. And he's saying, you know, we do have the power to stop this. And the other one turns to him and says, oh, no, I don't think that we should. And so they didn't. How about number three? Yeah, I, I really like this one. Uh, Nephi graphically decapitating a defenseless, unconscious man after listening to a voice in his head. You like that one too. You're a fan of number three. I've been toying with this idea of writing the book of Laban. That's Laban's perspective of what happened. That's kind of an alternate version of the Book of Mormon. So wow. this one's kind of near and dear to my heart. Yeah, I I came up with this story idea where Laban didn't actually die, but he was he kind of like uh, followed them around and was always kind of like Machiavellian, <laughs> uh, running things behind the scenes. But I, I, I don't know. I'll, I'll have to play with that idea, but I like that one. If they depicted it in the movie, I would like to see how Nephi was able to decapitate someone. Cause I imagine there would be a lot of blood cutting someone's head off of their shoulders. And then putting on his clothes afterwards and passing himself off as Laban, without all the blood I, or unless he asked him to strip naked before he cut him i don't know there might be some things that nephi didn't tell us well that's why i want to see between him and laban that's and what why. i want to see in the movie that's the entire yeah. point that i want to see this in the movie is how did he get that done um yeah. you know and, and on infants and thrones you have a lot of little uh, stories and kind of playwright sort of things and little scripts that are very interesting yeah. episodes so i'm sure you would be really really good at that okay or is it uh, number four could you read that one for us oh jesus what? killing thousands in third nephi nine you know, he burned them all up with fire. Uh, he drowned them in the depths of the sea. The earthquakes, the volcanoes, he murdered everybody. Uh, and then the next day he came and uh, had a nice visit with them. It's kind of a uh, kind of an incongruous uh, picture there. But I would like to see him yeah. doing that. Yeah, especially if it, if you really went up to each person and lit them individually on fire. That would be interesting to see. Yeah, but, I, would... but I, you know, I, actually, I wouldn't want to see that. Um, no, but, yeah, now that you mention it, but uh, you know, you know, maybe that was a pass. Or how about number six? Yeah. This is uh this is a this is a good one too. Number six. Yeah, Shiz and Coriantumer. Yeah, I'm really taking you back, Glenn. You remember Shiz in the uh, book of Ether? Oh yeah, yeah, great. That yeah, one of those things in Ether that I'd love to see. Yeah, so you know, he gets his head cut off, and then, mm. but he is able to rise up afterwards and kind of struggle for a little bit, even though he was decapitated. Yeah. I don't know. I like the gory stuff, Glenn. What can I tell you? And and it's pretty cool, like that Ether was watching that happen, so he was actually <laughs> able to see it. So it's it's like how many degrees of uh, <laughs> there used to be like six degrees of Kevin Bacon. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Uh, it's also kind of like the priesthood lineage of you know how many generations your priesthood goes back to actually Jesus. Like so so being an eyewitness, Ether being an eyewitness of Coriantumr and Shiz, and then uh, Ether what. For Moroni and then from Moroni to Joseph Smith and then really Joseph Smith directly to you. So yeah, it's I'll a pretty, pretty close. It's almost like you were there seeing it yourself, but <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool.
Yeah, that, that would be a cool one to depict. Actually. I guess all of these are very violent, Glenn. But what can I tell you? You know, this is the kind of stuff that I'm into as you've uh, I guess I'm kind of a masochist, but I would like to see that for sure. Or how about uh, number six? Anything with uh, tapers, Glenn? That's yeah. what I want to see. Yeah, someone gave me a really nice pair of socks once that have tapers on it. It was like a novelty gift at a sunstone once. I do like Captain Moroni there with the steel sword. Oops. Yeah. On top of the tape. See the steel sword. And the rainbow flag. Yeah. Like he, he cares. Yeah, he's updated. Like the title of liberty is really about like gender liberty. I you know, and Look. on the see the taper is Go, the most man. accurate part of this. That's what I want to see is number six. Or yeah. um, how about number seven? Chariots without wheels. That's going to be tough. Uh, that's why I want to see how they tackle that in the movie, because in the Book of Mormon, we know that Ammon was tending the sheep. By the way, there were no domesticated sheep. And also for the king's chariots, and there was no wheel. So that's what I want to see. How do you have a chariot without wheels? That's what I want to see. And this is actually from the church's uh, own uh, Book of Mormon reader itself. It might have been like big, big skis. <laughs> it, you don't know. It could have been yeah, big skis. That's know. why I want to see it. I, it. It could be anything. I don't know. Yeah. Um, or how about number eight? Five million Jaredites annihilated in a single battle. The largest land battle ever on this planet, Glenn. Mm -hmm. How would they shoot that? That'd be a lot of extras. You know, they're going to need a lot of Mormon missionaries for the extras on that one. Yeah. Now, how they uh, supplied all of those folks with, uh, you know, with like no refrigeration and no wheel and no ability to resupply, you know, with that many people. And it's amazing that they never found the uh, the site that that took place. That's crazy. Um, anyway, I would like to see that's number eight. Or um, how about number nine? Korahor being literally run over and trodden down by a white-skinned, self-righteous Nephite mob. Yeah, you remember Korahor in the Book of Mormon, don't you, Glenn? Yeah. Yeah, yeah and this does. is actually from the Book of Mormon reader itself. Here he is, Korahor, mm -hmm. after he was trodden down, after he was run over, because his big sin was that he was just merely a skeptic. So they just ran him over. Man. It might, it might have been more than that. You don't know. <laughs> yeah, he may have been right. doing I other things. It could have been. That's true. Yeah. Or, but, um, and that was that was the Zoramites too, right? Uh, was it? I think you're right. I think you're and, right. And the Zoramites had their Rami Amptum. Yes. I, okay. So put put a, I'm going to tell you what scene I actually want. I, I want to see a scene of the Rami Amptum, somebody preaching from the Rami Amptum, and I actually want it to be look exactly like General Conference. Like exactly like General Conference because that's what it is. Will you be the first person, uh, Glenn, to take our poll here? What do you want to see in the Book of Mormon, in the new Book of Mormon video series? 45 episodes being released by the church. What's your selection for those of you in the live chat? 45 episodes? Holy yeah. cow. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't want to watch any of them. Um, <laughs> I would say probably of everything that you have on that list, uh, Nephi cutting off the head of Laban is the one that I want to see. Well, it, Glenn, if that was in there, I promise you that I would watch. In fact, if some of these were in there at all, I would definitely watch them. But if they're just going to be the uh, tried and true uh, Mormon fair, I'm probably going to skip it. My personal favorite here would be to see number two would be the one that I would want to see. How would they actually approach that cinematically? Alma and Amulek sitting on their hands watching women and children being burned alive. I would like to see how the church would handle that. Uh, for those of you in the live chat, thanks for bringing, uh, for casting your votes. And that does take us to our final segment here, Glenn, which is the Mormon joke of the week. Can you take us okay. out with this? Yeah, we're going to do a short, we're going to do a short one. Um, and, and try not to laugh yourself silly over this one. Okay. Why did the Lamanites have bruised legs? <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. Because of all the Nephites. <laughs> <laughs> 
Nice. Very nice. I like that one. That's very, very good here. Yes. So, Glenn, hey, thanks so much for coming on the Mormon News Roundup. What, uh, you know, you've got the Bathing with God, which is your book out there. What is Bathing with God? What's that all about? Oh, Bathing with God is how I went from viewing the world uh, through an atheist lens to being open to uh, energy that is intelligent and alive that we're all made out of. Well, that sounds tremendous. And you've also got the Infants on Thrones as well. What can we expect to see from, uh, you know, you started that back in August of 2012. What are we going to be seeing in Infants on Thrones? What kind of projects are you working on? I don't know. What, whatever I'm doing, whatever, what, wherever I'm at um, in the moment. I, I've i been uh, doing a series of conversations with a Gestalt therapist um, that uh, I find really interesting. Um, he's He's been going through what he phrases as kind of like an excommunication from his gestalt therapy group where he's at. And uh, there are a lot of similarities between the, the group dynamics that were going on with that group and the group dynamics that happened within the Mormon church. So we're doing a lot of comparisons uh, there. Uh, but gestalt therapy is really great, really cool. So I, I like exploring that. I'm going to be talking with an author of a book coming up here and, you know, Infants on Thrones is it's just a little thing that I do when I feel like it. So I don't know what more you'll be seeing in the future, but if you're interested, check it out. I'm definitely going to check out at a minimum those episodes with uh, Lars Nielsen. Very much looking forward to that. Now, as far as this channel is concerned, we're doing our year in review, the 10 most important Mormon stories of 2023. We're going to release that on New Year's Eve. And we're also the next episode of the Mormon Movie Reviews, which is taking place tomorrow, which is Christmas Day. And we're going to review that old LDS classic. Mr. Kruger's Christmas released in 1980. You're not going to want to miss that. Now, I want to thank you so much, Glenn, for ruminating with me on what I call the great and spacious beehive. I want to get a shout out yeah. to Weird Alma for this episode's music. And remember, remember, no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing. Hallowed ones, maybe, but an unhallowed, forget it. It's not happening. It's not happening. All right, so that wraps up this year's 12 Days of Infant Christmas series. Thank you for listening to this little thing that I do. I greatly appreciate it because to misquote a line from the movie Notting Hill, I'm just a guy learning out loud by making podcasts, standing in front of my audience, asking them to love me. So if this podcast is meaningful to you, why don't you come love on me over at Patreon and help me pay my bills? Or at the very least, shoot me an email at infantsonthrones at gmail.com and tell me a little bit about yourself and your own subjective experiences of reality. I greatly appreciate it. And if you'd like to talk to me about a life coach and anything that I could do to help you create peace and tranquility in your life, it would be my absolute pleasure to help you become more aware of the things about yourself that you might not be totally aware of right now. We can help each other on that. So, Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and remember, in the end, the love you take is equal to the love you make, man. Yeah. Way to go, John, Paul, George, and Ringo, telling us how it's all about and everything. And thank you for listening to Infants on Thrones. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. 
Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down.